Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jones, up and down day, though, because you still have that bury your head in your hands moment, right? Uh, and I got a kick out of Dayball saying after the game, you know, when it was clearly there was an exchange there that was kind of heated. <laughs> and Dayball was like, what are you doing? You can't do that. You, you got to protect the ball. Uh, and Dayball was like, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't yelling at Daniel. I was talking on the headset. I thought that was kind of funny in the postgame as well. More on that topic coming up later. But first of all, welcome into the show. We're back. Ryan O'Leary here playing host, joined as always by Dan Benton of USA Today's Giants Wire. How the heck are you, Dan? It's been too long. Are you ready to kick off season three of the pod? Absolutely. It's it's great to be back. It obviously took a little bit longer than maybe we would have liked. Uh, but here we are, and we couldn't be back in a better situation than we're back. Uh, coming off the Giants' victory over the Tennessee Titans, a game not very many people expected them to win, present company included. Uh, but, you know, it's a new year, a new regime. It's a new era. Giants football, and that's that's pretty exciting for everybody, I think. It's pretty sweet to be one to know, and now we have uh, the balls of steel, right? Well, that's what the tabloids are running with, the balls that's of it. steel going for going for two, and the lead. I can't call it the win. I got to call it the lead, Dan, because there was too much time left. <laughs> but they yeah. went for two in the lead uh, instead of the tie, with a little over a minute left in regulation, and, and it really seems like Brian Dayball, new head coach of the Giants, obviously, see, it, it seems that he has won over the locker room with that call and just what happened, and you see the clips of the coaches and the players on the sideline in the locker room. I mean, it is like a one big happy after Brian Dayball makes that call. The Giants come back from a 13-0 deficit against the Titans. What's your take? Let's start there. What's your take on the balls of steel and that decision? I loved it. I, I'm not going to even lie. If you go back on uh, Twitter uh, during the live coverage of the game, um, me and uh, Jason from Over the Cap were going back and forth a little bit on, on, the, on the play, on the call. And we both agreed, got to go for two. You got to do it. And I didn't really think that they were going to. I know Dayball has said repeatedly that he intends to be aggressive. His players intend to be aggressive. They want to dictate the terms of the game. Um, On the road, it's the right call. Analytically, it ended up being the right call in reality. I love the call. I love the decision. I love the outcome. I would have been fine with it if they didn't make it. I thought it it was a brilliant move to do on the road in a game that you – weren't supposed to win, had the opportunity to pick up a road victory. I don't know. I love everything about it. I think the players' reaction reflected their feelings on it. And obviously the fan reaction in the aftermath has reflected their feelings on it. Like I said, it's a new era, a new time, and it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, you know Saquon loved it because he was praising Dayball after the game, and then you just watch him on the sidelines, how he was reacting. Uh, I mean, Saquon gets the ball, gets the score. Uh, You know, you love and understand the optics of that moment, Dayball seemed to have, he, he wanted to go for it no matter what, right? If they scored, he was going to go for it. That's what he said in the post game. I get and love that aggressive decision. I just like it. I like those go for two for the win moments, Dan. I like it when there's a little less time on the clock. Like you go for two and win and you don't really give the team another chance. So I like, I like there to be less time on the clock. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> I really don't like to rely on the idiot kicker on the other side to, to miss for, for the game to, for the game to uh, be over. So, that part of it was, you know, you're still, man, the moment of them going for two, getting it, you're now ahead. You're like, 
holy crap, I mean, it was such a cool moment. But now, now you have to hold on, you know, and, and just pray that this idiot kicker from the Titans misses. And, and even Dayball was asked about that postgame. How are you feeling then when he's lining up for that kick? You know? How was I feeling? I was hoping something to miss it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Dan, there's, there's definitely an element of luck, right? Uh, that... First of all, the play was almost blown up. I I, tell, I don't know how Saquon... What a game for Saquon Barkley. And I don't know how he like got into the end zone. You said you watched that play over and over uh, on the All-22, and you still don't know how Saquon got in. He like teleported into the end zone. There was like <laughs> two two or three guys in the backfield, right, when he got the ball. There were five. Yeah, there five, were five, five guys. So, I mean, I don't know how they got it. I don't know how he scored. I you know the, We had to wait for the idiot kicker to miss. So there is an element of luck there. But, man, the result, like... How can you be mad about the result? The result is like just perfect. Hey, the Giants have been on the exact opposite end of that spectrum about 20 times in the last six years. So, you know, it's about time that the, you know, the ball finally bounced in their direction. It was a great effort by Saquon to, you know, kind of juke out the defenders. And actually that really, truthfully, part of that came from Mike Kafka and the previous two play calls, which involved the same look. So, for the Titans, they were looking into the backfield at the snap, thinking the ball was going right to Saquon. And um, I think that kind of allowed him the little tiny inch, that little light of freedom that he needed to squeeze there into the end zone. I thought it was a great play. It was a great effort play by Saquon. Certainly could have gone the other way, but given the way that he played all game, I don't think anybody should be shocked that that's how it ended with a, a great effort play by him. I, I don't really take issue with the time that was on the clock because you play the hand that you're dealt, and that's just – that was the hand that they were dealt in that moment. I don't think they, you know, wanted to rely on the Titans missing the field goal. Uh, they really were expecting Wink's defense to to hold up strong and maybe shut him down and not let him get to that point. But, you know, that's why you play the game. It's a game of inches. It's a game of seconds. And that proved to be the case on Sunday. Just a wild week of, of football. Week one was great. And the Giants-Titans game was wild. And, um, you know, while we're celebrating the win, Dan, we're celebrating being 1-0 for the first time in what feels like forever, in eternity. There is another storyline coming out of the Giants. First time? <laughs> what, the first time ever? Oh, yeah, first time since, <laughs> from, from, uh, since 2016. Yeah. And I, I know that's the, that's the common line that everybody repeats, but it's actually only the second time they've won on opening weekend in the last 12 years. So it's unbelievable. It's, it's a rarity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, last year we were talking when they were 0-3, like that the season was done. Um, now we're one and zero. So it, that's that's the good part. The bad is that we we still have this awkward, puzzling situation with Kadarius Tony, right? Um, a player who I think has the talent to be the Giants' number one receiver. He only played seven snaps. He was not targeted. He had two touches. One was a trick play. They both ended up being runs. Um, first round pick from the previous regime. He clearly hasn't shown Dayball and the new staff, Dan, that he has the buy in or 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 uh, you know that he's healthy or that they have trusted him to play more than seven snaps, right? It is puzzling. I, I think Tony, in a perfect world, would be DJ's go-to target right now. And instead we got, you know, we're, you know, Richie James. He's logging 40 snaps. We're, we're relying on Richie James. So uh, make it make sense for me, man. What's going on with Kadarius Tony? I think it's as simple as Dayball says. I really do believe him when he says it. He's a, he's a guy who's committed to very, you know, a very strict set of rules. Uh, granted, he is a player's coach, but when he says that if you don't practice, you're not going to play, he he genuinely means it. If you don't practice, you're not going to play. And throughout the summer, Tony, who's coming off of a you know offseason knee surgery, hasn't been practicing. He he saw very limited time during the preseason during training camp, 
And uh, until he starts stringing together complete practices, his role's going to be limited. And I know there are a lot of people out there who aren't necessarily fans of that, but you've got to be able to rely on the players within the system. And, you know, they their teammates have to be able to count on them too. And we've seen in recent years with Tony last year in particular that sometimes that doesn't work out in, you know, the favor of the offense in particular in, the, in this particular instance. Uh, so I, I do. I do believe Dayball when he says as soon as Tony starts practicing, he'll start playing. At the same time, it is also important to remember that, you know, there were more plays drawn up for Tony than what the Giants ended up using based on the game situations. That's not to say that he was going to have a role that would have equated to Richie James, who has been practicing. Um, but there were more plays in the playbook for him. And, uh, you know, whether or not that increases next week is really going to be determined by his participation in practice this week. Yeah, it does seem like Dayball has a plan, right? So we just got to trust the process here. Um, you know, he's, you know, he he said it. He's going to make every receiver earn their role. Uh, and, yeah, and it, it seems re- like he's doing that with Tony. It, 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 yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me of, uh, you know, uh, Bill Parcells back in the day. Yep. You know, he would always say, you, you can't help the club from the tub. And if that's where you are, you're not going to play. So you've got to man up and you've got to play. You've got to power through whatever it is you're dealing with. And I know... There's a lot in the modern day where, you know, that kind of old school mentality isn't, you know, that's kind of frowned upon. Uh, but that's how Dable, you know, that's how he rolls and that's how it's going to be. So whether it's Tony or someone else, if you're, if you're not practicing, you're not going to play. Well, uh, those who snagged Saquon Barkley, Dan, in the second round of their fantasy drafts, must, they might have a league winner on their hands. He looked ridiculous. He looked explosive. Um, he really willed the Giants to victory. And right here, coming up next, we got our uh, Fantasy Sports Minute here from our friends over at TheHuddle.com. They're going to tell us who to start in Week 2. Uh, and then Dan and I will be back. This is the Typico Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. interesting. I'm Corbinini of TheHuddle.com, here to bring you strong plays for Week number 2. Indianapolis Colts quarterback Matt Ryan at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Starting an Indianapolis quarterback on the road at Jacksonville isn't as comfortable as it may seem. Colts haven't won there since 2014, and something always seems to go wrong. Ryan was a viable streamer in Week 1, throwing for 352 yards and a touchdown on 50 pass attempts. The stat line could have looked much better if two passes weren't dropped in the end zone. While there is some risk associated in starting Ryan, Jacksonville did give up 313 yards and four touchdowns to Carson Wentz last week. Tony Pollard, running back, Dallas Cowboys versus the Cincinnati Bengals. This matchup profiles better for Pollard than it does Ezekiel Elliott if the Bengals can force Dallas into a pass-happy script with Cooper Rush under center. Dallas's offensive line is a mess right now, too, which bodes well for getting Pollard out into space. He is a fairly risky play in most settings, since it's more likely than not Cincinnati will play tight around the line of scrimmage. Expect plenty of checkdown work coming from Cooper Rush's right hand. Wide receiver Julio Jones, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at New Orleans Saints. Likely to be without Chris Godwin, Tampa might have to put the ball in the air more than usual against a Saints defense that is tough to run against. Wide receiver Mike Evans has not enjoyed tremendous success through the years, especially against Marshawn Lattimore when he faces the Saints. That could redirect Tom Brady's attention to his peripheral outlets, such as Julio Jones. Jones looked every bit the part of his former self in Week 1 after two years of injuries derailed his career and had many people wondering if there was anything left in the tank. While we don't expect a huge day from him, there's upside for around 15 PPR points. Los Angeles Chargers tight end Gerald Everett at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chargers will 
will be without Keenan Allen on Thursday night, and Everett came through as a nice streaming play in Week 1, finishing as tight end number 4 in PPR format. Expect a high-scoring game from two talented offenses, and Justin Herbert will put the ball in the air, and he seems to have plenty of confidence in Everett. For more award-winning fantasy tips, news, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. Kind of an up and down day for Daniel Jones, right, Dan? I mean, he continues to get... I feel like he continues to get some heat from the fans, right? Got a little heat from Brian Dayball on the sideline after throwing that hideous, terrible interception in the end zone late in the game. He, You know, you look at his stat line, I mean, it seemed like he didn't throw an incompletion. Like The 17 for 21, that's 81%. I mean, that was ridiculous. He was very accurate. Uh, you know, he, he still continues, like, he looks healthy, continues to use his legs, you know, he, he's dangerous on those bootlegs, man. I don't know. Defenses are one day they're going to catch on to those bootlegs with Daniel Jones <laughs> one day. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't this week with the Titans. But Jones up and down day, though, because you still have that bury your head in your hands moment. Right. Uh, and I got a kick out of Dayball saying after the game, you know, when it was clearly there was an exchange there that was kind of heated. <laughs> and Dayball was like, what are you doing? You can't do that. You can't. You got to protect the ball. Uh, and Dave, I was like, oh, I wasn't I wasn't yelling at Daniel. I was talking on the headset. I thought that was kind of funny in the postgame as well. But what was your take from Daniel Jones? Kind of an up and down day again for him. I, I yeah, it was. Listen, the interception, there's there's no washing that away. Like I said it off air. I'll say it on air. I thought it was the worst interception Daniel Jones has thrown in his NFL career, period. It was a crushing interception at a terrible time. Um it's just something you just can't have it. It's not just that it was an interception. It's an interception in the red zone. It's an interception in the end zone. You cost your team at least three points minimum, yeah. uh, potentially seven points. There's no way around it. It's terrible. Outside of that one throw, however, like you said, he went 17 of 21. One of those was dropped by Richie James. The 81% was a career-high completion percentage. Only um, Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills had um, the actually both of them had zero percent off target throws. They were the only two quarterbacks in the NFL in week one to have zero percent of off target throws. His accuracy is honestly his strong suit. It had been all summer, had been throughout the preseason, appeared to be the case again. Um, Giants are making very high percentage throws. I think it's precisely what Daniel Jones should be doing right now and how they should be using Daniel Jones. Outside of that interception, I thought he actually played really well on a Sunday. But, you know, it's Daniel Jones, and that interception is terrible, and that's all anybody's going to focus on. And, it, you know, you can't defend it. You can't defend him in that particular moment. It's great that he was able to lean on Saquon and come back down, throw that touchdown, the shovel pass to Saquon that went in for the two, got the W. You know, it was, it was a nice way to rebound, but it very well could have cost the Giants the game. And uh, you, he cannot have those kind of mistakes going uh, ahead this season. But Dan, you do continue to be uh, DJ's biggest supporter on Twitter. When the pitchforks come out, you do seem to to step up and and protect DJ. Uh, on, on there Twitter, there needs is... to be a counterbalance. Yeah. It's so heavy to one side that you almost have to be a little bit more extreme to the other side to kind of keep things 
uh, imbalanced because it, it really is so re- – the hate for Daniel Jones is really ridiculous. I, I'm not sure if you saw it or if anybody else listened and saw it, but on our Twitter feed, uh, there were some quote tweets from fans who were literally saying, I wanted the Giants to lose because I, I'm rooting against Daniel Jones. These are Giants fans, and I'm the, – the, the pendulum has shifted so far to one side that I almost have to be a homer in order to kind of reel it back in a little bit. I love it. I love it. Every time that you come to DJ's uh, defense, I'm like, get him, Dan, go. Uh, so, you know, I think you saw some of the, yeah, you know, the, the completion percentage was, um, you know, it, it popped off the page when you looked at it, when you went back and looked at the box score after the game. Um, efficient. We, we still have these, uh, these stretches in games, though, Dan, uh, you know, here in week one where you're like, are we ever going to score a point? Can we just get, can we, are we ever going to score? Right. So, uh, you know, 13, nothing. It felt like the giants were never going to score, but they did, they did bounce back. They turned it around in the end. Um, and you got to be happy about that. But the interior line you, you were telling me is, uh, you know, they didn't do uh, DJ any favors in this game, the interior pass uh, protection. Yeah. It was less than stellar. Let's, <laughs> let's put it that way. Uh, the, the pass protection, it was horrendous to start the game. Uh, it did get a little bit better going down the stretch at the end of the game. I thought the rookie Azudu, he boy, he had some welcome to the NFL moments on Sunday. But there are other instances where you're watching the film and and you're kind of thinking, all right, you you could see that he's got some of the tools to make this right. It, it is important to remember as as poorly as they played in terms of pass protection. I mean, he Azudu got a zero point zero pass protection grade from from pro football focus. So that, that tells you all Doesn't you need to know good. about how they Doesn't performed in that, in that regard. Um, obviously there are some improvements that need to be made. There's some communication issues that need to be hammered out. Uh, but it, like I was going to say, it is important to remember that that was the first live regular season game in that system. A rookie that was thrust in replacing the veteran, um, you know, basically midway through the game, uh, you know, there are some issues there. Yeah. You know, you don't want to give them too much of a pass, uh, obviously, there are things they need to clean up, get better at, improve upon. Uh, can't be letting DJ take, you know, uh, what was it? It was something like eight hits on his first, like, 12 dropbacks or something like that. That That's not a recipe for success. I don't care who the quarterback is. Um, so, yeah, there are definitely things to clean up, especially on the interior. I do think, however, although their pass protection struggled, their run blocking is very good. Uh, arguably the best run blocking that we've seen I don't know, and who knows how long? You know what I mean? It's it's been forever. It feels like, um, so you know, you want to you know starting a season halfway there, you feel good about yourself because it, it generally does take you know three, four, maybe five games to figure out an identity of a team, identity of the line, identity of each unit. Um, so there's a lot of positives for the Giants to build on there, but they do, especially on the interior, have to get better on their pass protection. Give me your first impressions of Wink's defense, Dan. Uh, now, obviously, with Ojolari and Thibodeau out. I mean, that probably plays a role in uh, Tannehill being a little cleaner than DJ in this game, right? Didn't have quite as much havoc around him. I don't think he got hit quite as much as uh, uh, DJ did. Not even close. Um, so, the, you know, the pressure wasn't there, but I think, you know, given the personnel, that, that's probably why. But Giants competitive in the run game against Derrick Henry, I thought, pretty good. I you thought know. it was a great game. Plan. Yeah, as far it wasn't for this Dontrell Hilliard you know, that kept catching those touchdown passes. They were right. pretty good. right. Yeah, there were certainly there. Were obviously, there were some mistakes in the secondary. I uh, saw that on one of those touchdowns in particular, where I, I still, for the life of me, can't figure out what exactly went wrong or who blew their coverage. Maybe it was just a good call by the Titans. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe they just happened to 
to to win that particular chess matchup. Uh, sometimes you just got to tip your cap and be like, hey, you know, we did our job and they beat us. And that's just how it goes sometimes. Uh, but it, overall, I thought it was a great game plan by Wink, given the fact that he was obviously going to be without his top two edge rushers. Dexter Lawrence in particular, uh, he's kind of flown under the radar for some reason. I thought he had an absolutely dominant, terrific game. Uh, he played exceptionally well. Um, you know, and, and they did what they had to do. They took away the Titans' number one weapon and, and made them, you know, try to beat them in other ways. And, and obviously the Titans were unable to do that. Yeah, I remember one run where Derrick Henry was like shot out of a cannon, ran right through the defense, but that, there was only one run. Other than that, yep. they were really competitive. So, and how about stuff. that Tay Crowder hit on on Derrick Henry? That was <laughs> yeah, that was. I know incredible. he's been pretty. He's not he's not memeing it up. He's not really talking too much crap about it after the fact, which is good for him. Uh, it you is. Know, you don't want that but, to come back to bite you because Derrick Henry no. has uh, posterized people with the stiff arm. Oh uh, yeah, that, that was a sure, I mean, I, I hell think of an that image was a, there. I thought that was a statement moment of the game. Yeah. Really, and maybe a statement moment for the whole season, you know, because that's a that's a bruising running back who absolutely demolishes people on a regular basis, who got cleared completely off his feet and thrown onto his back, clobbered, and, and, and yeah, it was it was it was absolutely destructive hit, and I think that speaks volumes about the identity of this defense, which is exactly what Wink Martindale wants. Love it. So here, coming up next is my favorite segment of the show. It's our little sports betting segment where Dan. Pulls out the crystal ball. I mean, you really had your finger on the pulse of the Joe Judge years. You just basically knew whether the Giants were going to win or lose every week, Dan. You told us what was going to happen. And, you know, usually when the Giants were big underdogs, like, you know, that game against the Saints sticks out on the road. You're like, I think they're going to win. I'm like, what? What? And then they do. And they do. It's like crazy. So we'll be back right after this to talk Giants Panthers. All right, Dan, the Giants, two and a half point favorites in the home opener against Baker Mayfield, Ben McAdoo, and the Carolina Panthers. Are you ready for this game? I'm excited for it. I can't wait for it. Ben McAdoo. We've got to be nice to see Benny with the good hair again. <laughs> the Giants have a chance to be 2-0. and They're favored to be 2-0, and Dan. So you got to go to 2016. Go back to that year, right? That was the first. Right. That was the last time they were 2-0. and Eli Manning was the quarterback. Um, but like I said before the break, you've, you've had your finger firmly on the pulse of this team. At, at least in the Joe Judge years when we were doing this show. But now it's year three of the show. You got a whole new regime, new defense, new offense. Do you have the crystal ball working? Do you, do you have a good feeling about this team? What do you think? What do you expect it on Sunday? It's it's hard to say because you know traditionally this is one of those games where you're coming off a huge win. You've got a Monday night divisional game with the Cowboys the following week. It feels like it has the potential to be kind of an early season trap game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Dayball, I think Martindale, Kapka, I think those guys will have the team ready to go. I think it's going to be electric in the stadium. The Giants are 1-0 for the first time in ages. The fans are going to be lively. Hopefully they have Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau back. If they do, you know, obviously that significantly improves their odds. I think at two and a half points, though, traditionally the home teams are given three points. So Vegas isn't really sold on the Giants mm-hmm. in this game. And I, and I do understand why. But I also think if you watch the Panthers last week and particularly uh, McAdoo's offensive play calling, particularly <laughs> late in the game. We know not that. exactly. We, we've yeah, seen that thing. Play it's out. not very inspiring. And um, I don't know. I, I feel confident in the Giants. I feel confident in them winning at home. Uh, and I feel confident in them beating the spread, too. I think they're going to I think they're going to win by I almost said 10 points, but I think I'll reel myself in a little bit there and say a touchdown. 
But I, I do think they have the potential, assuming they go into this game healthy, to really put it on the Panthers, if I'm being honest. All right, so just give me a second to write this down. Giants <laughs> minus two and a half. We're placing this bet on the cell phone later because Dan is rarely wrong. Uh, yeah, the Panthers, It's a, they're an interesting team, right, with Baker Mayfield, now the quarterback. Mm-hmm. They got some weapons. I mean, you know, Christian McCaffrey, unbelievable running back. DJ Moore is a great receiver, great receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they got some weapons that are a little scary in that regard, but I, I was so disappointed in them. I, I was actually really interested in that Panthers-Browns game. You know, Baker yeah, Mayfield playing Same. his old team. And that was kind of a letdown, the way the Panthers played. I just didn't think they... I mean, they lose to Jacoby Brissett in the Browns, you know, in that revenge game. And it was just like, come on, man, right? So, yeah, I was uninspired by the Panthers last week. So I have no problem taking that uh, taking that little wager. Right. Uh, there, You know, there's a little bit of a... You know, I know Saquon and, and Baker are kind of are friendly and everything, but people tend to forget that a few years ago, uh, Baker Mayfield literally laughed in the face of Daniel Jones when the Giants drafted him. I don't know if you recall that. Uh, I did so not, there's a little animosity there. Yeah. Um, allegedly, they have buried the hatchet since then. Baker did publicly apologize. But I'm sure that's something that Daniel Jones remembers in the back of his mind and something that will be on, in his head uh, come Sunday. I don't think he wants to lose to Baker. I would love to see a little fire out of Daniel Jones. So bring it on. Let's go. You know, <laughs> like, let's let's see it. Um, when he's and, and Baker, Baker yeah. kind of reminds me of Carson Wentz in a way sometimes too, because there's one moment where he'll look like this elite championship quarterback, and then he'll make a throw or a series of throws and some decisions where it's like, how is this guy in the league? Yeah, like what is he doing? What is he thinking out there? And, and I feel like between those two quarterbacks, it's almost a guarantee that you're going to get two, three, four of those throws, um, you know, almost every single game. And you know, Wink Martindale's defense is going to make you pay for those kind of bad decisions. So if Mayfield goes out there and has his typical kind of game, I don't think it's going to go well for him. He's going to need to play a lot better than he traditionally plays. Oh, Baker will throw you a few. He'll throw you a few, a few. He will. He always will. It's a given. Definitely. Definitely. So looking forward to it. Giants home opener. They're one and oh chance to go two and oh, looking forward to the game. And uh, Dan, it's just great to be back on the mic, man. Better late than never. Right. It's good to be back on it. I was uh, playing hurt this week a little bit, so sorry if my energy was a little off. Uh, but I'll be ready to go next week to break this thing down. Absolutely, man. It's been a pleasure. I can't wait to do it again. I hope we have a, a full 17, 18-week season uh, of enjoyment, close games, and, and wins. You know, It's been a long time for the Giants. It's been a long time for their fans. They deserve more than they've gotten. And uh, right now the feeling is pretty good, and, and hopefully we can keep that going all year long and, and, and run this podcast along the same lines. All right, for Dan Benton, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us. Hit subscribe. We'll catch you next week. This USA Today sports podcast has been presented by USA Today's sports media group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.